The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM where, as usual, we've always got the latest gizmos, gadgets, news and events that are not happening in the tech world. Well, there's no question. I mean, all you do is hear this coronavirus scare and coronavirus hysteria and airlines shutting down and airports closing up and borders being locked and people being told to work from home, which is not a bad thing in this technological age. It might just completely change the way that we work if you can't go near people. But there's no question that there's risk always. Um, Europe in the Northern Hemisphere is coming out of their winter season as the sun starts shining and the the blossoms start coming out. It's the perfect time for flus and colds and whatnot. And along comes the scary monster called coronavirus. And uh, unfortunately, the world has gone a little bit nuts. So there's not much we can do about it. Uh, at the moment, we just have to live with it. But I was in Barcelona last week for Mobile World Congress, and guess what? It was cancelled due to the coronavirus. So Barcelona was fantastic. There was no one there. It was dead quiet. But the sad thing is there were just no product launches, none of the usual insights into what's happening in the mobile technology world. It was just rather scary um, from a technology point of view. And in fact, the impact or the whole rollback of the, in, of, the imp, of the whole coronavirus scare has been massive. China went in February into the Chinese New Year holidays, which is a two-week holiday, and that's when coronavirus really hit the streets. And for the most part, many, many uh, companies and many, many factories that make electronic goods did not go back to work after the leave. So obviously they built up stocks, supplies for the, you know, for the holiday period to make sure there was no interruption in the supply chain, but not resuming work. Uh, many, many companies are now starting to run into all sorts of shortages, part shortages, completed goods shortages. Uh, Apple have announced that there are going to be potentially some delays in delivering certain iPads, iPhones going forward. So the knock-on effect of the shutdown, the complete shutdown, uh, apparently uh, China, something like 86 million people were locked out could only go send one person of the family out of their homes to get groceries a day uh, on pain of arrest and who knows what. And the good news coming out of China is that the coronavirus growth has slowed dramatically and continues to drop every day. So it looks like the worst of that has happened in China, but they've exported along with their technological gizmos and gadgets, they've certainly exported the coronavirus to the rest of the world. And we're definitely seeing a whole chunk of uh, people being affected globally. And again, it's affecting the tech world considerably. March is going to be an interesting month, though. I've already been informed that Nokia have got their pre-launch of all the new products they were going to show off at uh, Mobile World, Huawei as well. We'll talk about Huawei a little later, some interesting developments on that side, and some valiant efforts of theirs to try to overcome their ban from the U.S., but... uh, only partially successful. But essentially, the coronavirus has really rocked the world, and the tech world is no different. We are seeing massive impacts across all sorts of um, uh, events, 
Google I.O. canceled. Facebook canceled their event. Microsoft have canceled a number of events. So the whole rhythm and pace of the tech world, which I use to bring you all the greatest and latest news around tech, has been substantially uh, interrupted. So we're going to have to rely on the Internet and Zoom. Zoom is like Skype call for businesses, but Zoom is the way that people are doing business. Everybody's saying, no, no, we're not traveling via train, via bus, via tube, via air. We'd rather sit at home in our PJs or wear a smart shirt and some shorts and do our interviews via Zoom. So it's become really, really interesting how we're all getting around. And thank goodness for technology. We're using technology to get around the fact that we can't commute and travel and shake hands and meet people. I'll be back with some interesting new news straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. And in some interesting news, I'm not sure that a whole host of you people have have discovered this yet. But if you're using the latest version of Android or the latest version of iOS, you notice that at night the phone goes to what's called dark mode. And in fact, when you set up your phone, um, often what you can do is simply connect it to dark mode or tell it to become dark mode. I'm trying to connect to the Internet here and I'm not... I'm actually not winning, which is quite an interesting thing. <laughs> so for a technologically-based uh, uh, program, I'm struggling to get on the Internet, which is quite quite an interesting little um, aside. But anyway, dark mode is a really smart move from um, both Android and iOS. Um, and uh, we will definitely – I will – Sorry, I'm a little distracted because I'm trying, everyone's trying to help me get connected and I'm not getting connected, but not serious. I will be connected in two and a half seconds to the internet. But dark mode is a very simple, simple way to do a lot of things. One, I like the look that instead of the white screen being on all the time, I like the look of black and white, um, and everything of that sort. And what it does do, it actually has two other main functions, which is well worth going for. And as I said, um, WhatsApp is now able to take advantage of this functionality built into the operating system. And what you do is actually nothing. What you, If it's not automatically coming up on either your Android and iPhone, you simply go into settings, search for dark mode, and you'll be able to connect or set it up in such a way that dark dark mode comes up automatically. The benefits of dark mode are twofold, and, and there are a lot of others, but apart from looking cool, but one of the main benefits of dark mode is very simply battery life. Imagine that your screen is not the screen is black by normal by normal standards, and um, when you put you light the whole screen up and it's white as it normally is, you're using battery power all the time. So you definitely use a lot less power in dark mode. So some people I know keep dark mode on all the time because it extends the battery life of their their various devices. It also, if you've got a couple of scratches or marks on your your phone, dark mode hides all that. Um, but the other major advantage is there's a far less blue light. So if you read your iPad or you read your phone before you go to bed, there is some research out there that blue light stimulates your brain and keeps you awake and interrupts the quality of your sleep. So really, um, I think that if you're not using dark mode, certainly at night, or you don't want to use dark mode during the day, that's another story. But I would say that if you go, if you want, um, 
to get, I think it's a very cool looking thing. Everything's black and all the white stands out so it's easier to read as well. So go both into either Android 10 and upwards, iOS 13 and upwards. I think iOS 12 also had a bit of a dark mode, but iOS 13 definitely. And you just enable it in the system settings. So you go to the WhatsApp settings, you go to chat, theme, and select dark. And then boom, it'll automatically um, switch to dark mode, and then you'll have all the benefits of that. So that's just a cool little hint and a tip. And moving into our theme for today, Tech Talk Cafe, unfortunately I've been traveling, so I haven't had a chance to interview some really interesting people over the last couple of weeks. So what I'm going to be talking about is the rise of the big data machine or the rise of big data and analytics and what that actual impact is on our lives going forward. It's it's a huge trend globally. It's something that's picking up massive speed in South Africa, and it's actually changing almost every single aspect of our daily lives and certainly any aspect of our daily lives that we're using any form of connectivity to connect to, which is seriously, seriously interesting because – the best form of technology is technology you don't even notice. So you hop in your car, you switch on your phone, you you navigate, you make calls, you answer WhatsApps. No, you don't answer WhatsApps in the car, but that's because responsible drivers never do such a thing. But the fact is that we all use technology. We take it for granted. And the best type of technology is the invisible type of technology. So all these platforms and systems we'll talk about in Tech Talk Cafe and the trends that get us there. But an announcement that came out uh, yesterday, in fact, um, is a very simple one, and that is Microsoft and SAP are working to help Standard Bank take their entire SAP system. Now, SAP is the underlying accounting business um, management platform that a lot of big businesses, in fact, it's the sort of de facto standard for big business globally, but it's a massive program that is used to run these various businesses. And you can imagine the scope, the scale, and the sheer size of a database or whatever you need in a bank that's got millions of customers. And Standard Bank, interestingly, a couple of years ago, built the most insane data center just the side of Centurion. I think it's over a kilometer of floor area. And they put their servers there and everything was landed up there. But a couple of things have changed. Again, we'll talk about that. But Microsoft Azure data centers are now in South Africa. They're also huge. There may even be an instance of it on the Standard Bank data center. But what they're doing is they're moving their entire SAP uh, platform onto the Internet to give banking uh, 24 by 7 access. And that's actually not not the point. The point is, from your point of view, if you're a Standard Bank customer, you won't notice any difference. Everything will work exactly the same. There should be no change to the front end. The only difference is when you connect to Standard Bank systems, platforms, banking, whatever it is, instead of those servers being connected directly to Standard Bank's um, con- Internet or network, wherever you are, and there's no longer an internal network, that will all work through the Internet through Microsoft's uh, Azure platform, and they will host the full SAP instance. The benefits of that are quite simple. One, um, Standard Bank no longer need to go and buy millions upon millions of rands worth of hardware. They no no longer need to maintain that hardware. All of that stuff happens automatically at the massive data centers that um, Microsoft run. 
All the software gets updated all the time. All the security is taken care of within the data center itself, although Standard Bank obviously have their own their own necessary features and platforms for that. And by putting the whole SAP S for HANA uh, system into the cloud, they can then unify everything. In other words, they've got absolutely everything in one place accessed from anywhere. And theoretically, the days of the system being down, the days of um, you not being able to access your various banking platforms should reduce dramatically. And that is the key benefit of taking um, the entire thing to the cloud. Standard Bank were touting a significantly improved experience to customers, but I don't think any of us are going to actually see any real change from a day-to-day point of view. But what you will see is a marked improvement in often speed. So if they, you know, there'll be no downtime because, for example, what a data center can do is they can do an upgrade to a platform in the background while running a live platform and then switch over seamlessly to the new platform that's all upgraded. And then in a matter of seconds, you're up and running. None of this, we're offline for maintenance for three hours between the hours of X and Y, um, and that sort of thing will all disappear. So I suppose that is a significant improvement if you really feel like doing banking at uh, 3 a.m. in the morning on a Sunday, which happens. Don't know why, but it does happen, and it's pretty annoying when you go onto the website, you go onto the app, and it says, "Terribly sorry, we're down for maintenance." So the move to cloud, especially a company as big as Standard Bank, moving its platforms to cloud is a big deal, and for Microsoft, it is a huge win because to put a company as big as Standard Bank onto their Azure platform, which is two data centers, one in Cape Town, one in Joburg, is just a huge. Um, they must, you know, it's a huge benefit to everybody, but for Microsoft's point of view, it's a massive accolade because you can imagine the due diligence and the amount of work Standard Bank did to get that all up and running. So well done to all involved and all you Standard Bank customers out there probably going to be a little happier with the service that you're getting. And it's all because of the cloud. And we'll be back with a whole story around that straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And before we get into my Tech Talk big data conversation and try to set out exactly why it's so incredibly important to our lives going forward and just give you a little bit of sense why it all came up and how it's all happened to um, to just coalesce around what's going on now. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I just wanted to highlight something that I, I mentioned a little earlier and I've I forgot, well, I ran out of time to speak about it. One of the big news items that's coming in the next couple of weeks, and in fact an event last week at Huawei um, announced that they will be releasing their brand new phones. They've got a brilliant new foldable phone. They've updated it for 5G. But the big news is the follow-up to their smash hit, the P30, which was a great value phone, brilliant technology, unbelievable camera, which they launched around about February, March of 2019, um, will be the P40. Now, the P40 looks absolutely awesome. I haven't touched it or seen it. I unfortunately was out of the country when they had their event. Um, but the P40 will be launched in South Africa in the next month or so. And it has one huge change from the P30, apart from technology. The P40 will be launched without Google services at all. So something called GMS, that if you have a Google, any phone that's based on Android, there's something called G- GMS, which is Google Mobile Services built into the phone. 
And that offers you all the various Google services, simply simply put. Now, services such as mapping, mail, every form of uh, AR, VR, you name it, everything that runs on the, the phone other than the base operating system, which switches the phone on, makes the odd phone call, pretty much absolutely every part of the phone, every advanced feature of the phone, maps, positioning, Absolutely every advanced feature is part of GMS, and GMS is separate from the base operating system, and it comes together. So for the vast majority of people up to now, it's never been a question. You bought a phone, it ran Android, it had everything on it, you switched it on, there was Maps, there was Google, there was you name it, it was all available, and it all worked. All you had to do was use your Google, your Gmail login, and absolutely everything worked. It copied from your own phone, it downloaded your phone book, it did absolutely everything that you needed to do. Now, the new Android-based phones from Huawei are coming without GMS. The reason they don't have GMS is because Huawei has been banned from buying from American companies in terms of the entity ban, and they cannot, and GMS, although Google is free, GMS was a paid service that you paid Google or the manufacturer paid Google for and was built into the cost of the phone. Now, there is a lot of stuff around that that I'm not going to go into now. But what people need to know, that P40 phone and any new Android phones offered by Huawei going forward for the next little while or until such time as they sort their nonsense out with uh, with uh, America, which doesn't seem very likely right now, um, will come without Google services. And the impact of that is subtle in some cases and pretty fundamental in others. What Huawei have done has brought out um, their, their own uh, Google-type services called Huawei Mobile Services. And what they've done is, on for the most part, completely replicated every single service that Google offers on the phone. So mapping, positioning, making calls, absolutely everything that you need to make the phone functional, Huawei have completely and utterly re-engineered using their own technology and overlay that on the Android that's sitting there. So for the most part, the mobile phone will make calls, receive SMSs, will connect to the various uh, global positioning satellites, will connect to Wi-Fi, will do everything that a normal phone will do. Here is where it gets super interesting. For the last year, and this entity ban came in in May last year, for the last year, Huawei have thrown absolutely obscene amounts of money at um, the problem of not having access to any App Store or the Google App Store or any Google services or any Google apps whatsoever. In China, that's never been a problem. They've never used them. They've always had a range of apps and everything. But in the West, they had none. And in that time, they've built up a library of between forty and 50,000 essential apps to replace those of the Google App Store. So when you go onto your brand new uh, non-Google um, Huawei phone, there will be a Huawei App Store. You open the Huawei App Store, it looks and feels exactly like the Google App Store, except that all the favorite apps that you like, the vast majority of the favorite apps that you like will not be there. So there's no Facebook, there's no Gmail, there's no Google Maps, there's none of that. You can still get your, your mail and you can still connect to Google Gmail through a Huawei Mail app. But all the rest are not available. And what Google, what Huawei have done is they are going to promise that at the store they will have someone who will help you 
move everything across. If you have a, any other Android phone or an iOS phone for that matter, they've got a program called Phone Clone. Now, what Phone Clone will do is take everything that's on your current phone and move it to the new phone. So if you've got a Google app on your old phone, it'll move that Google app to the new phone. Um, it, it won't obviously move the data across because the, the subtle part of not having access to Google is, for example, WhatsApp backs up all your WhatsApps to uh, Google Drive. If you have no access to Google Drive because it's a Google service and uh, you cannot get your your WhatsApp. So you now need to save all your WhatsApps locally. And if you use phone clone, they'll move across to your new Google phone, uh, your, your new Huawei phone. Um, but here's where, and I'm sure they, they, they've done a remarkable job. All the banking apps are there. Quite a lot of the other apps are there. But a lot of stuff, subtle stuff that you haven't even thought of will not be there. No YouTube. However... What they've done is they've given a ton of links to external sites where you can download those various apps, which for me is a real problem. I'm a a tech-savvy guy. I have no problem sideloading, as they call it, and downloading apps from weird places and putting them on my phone. But a lot of people will really find that incredibly complicated and incredibly insecure, and it is in many cases insecure. You don't know where that app has been, where it's come from. With the Google App Store, it's all curated. It it tells you that they check it, and you're pretty safe. No malware, no problems. This way around, as much as as Huawei would try their best to make sure you don't have that problem, you don't know. It's an external link. It goes outside of their own App Store. It goes to the general web, and who knows what that app is that you're installing. The other problem is, that app will not automatically update because there's no mechanism to automatically update it. In the case of Google, you can download Google Maps. It'll operate as per normal. It'll download all the, the information that you need. But because you can't log into your Google account, it won't store any of that information. It won't remember where you've been. It won't prompt you that it's time to go home. It won't. None of the more advanced functionality that you've come to take totally grant for granted within the Google ecosystem will be available to you. They have got a couple of map apps that are are alternatives, but none of them are quite as slick. So that's one huge problem. The other problem is there are currently no Netflix or any video streaming apps. Google, um, you can sideload a YouTube app, and you will be able to watch some of those, and that'll be fine. But again, you can't store it. There's no history. There's no 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 memory of what you've watched and what you don't watch. You can't save favorites. It simply becomes a mechanism. So for the most part, they are saying... And this is where I find things uncomfortable. They're going to be telling everybody in their marketing that everything's the same. The phone is exactly the same as you always expect. Every app you want will be available, which is an out-and-out fudging of the truth. Not every app. A ton of apps will not be available. They may become available as they work damn hard and spend a ton of money to get everybody to port their apps to the App Store. But any American company's apps will be a problem. They will never be able to be hosted on a Chinese Huawei-owned App Store. So there will always be the sideloading issue. And for the most part, having been a Google user for 10 years, I have got such a deep history with Google um, and such a deep connection with all the various aspects of Google. When I do something on my phone, it pops up on my laptop. When I do it on my laptop, it pops up on my phone. There's just a seamless integration of an ecosystem with billions of apps, little ones that you even thought of using, some you might want to use when you travel, some you might want to use when you go to a different place. None of that will be available 
currently through the Huawei App Store. And where it gets really uncomfortable is that this phone is going to cost the same as a top-of-the-line brand-new Samsung, Nokia, Oppo, any other phone. So why would you spend 20,000 Rand, more or less, on a brand-new phone that is crippled inherently deep down? No Google services, ton of apps not available, a complicated, difficult way of getting to those apps. Um, they may be able to be run on the phone. There may even be an equivalent, but it's not the same thing. So your entire life would subtly and completely change to the Huawei world. They've got their own cloud services. They've got their own cloud drive. They've replicated the ecosystem considerably, but still it does not have the depth nor the insane amount of um, choice that you have within the Google ecosystem. And for that matter, it doesn't even come close to what goes on in the Apple ecosystem. So as much as they are doing their best to stay on top of things, I just feel the message they're sending to the market that everything's the same. Don't you worry. We'll have people to help you. Um, you your phone will be no different to any other phone. If it was a two grand phone, I'd say take a chance. I mean, what do you do? You send an SMS, a little bit of WhatsApp, a little bit of this and that. All of it will actually work. But for a 20 grand phone, when there's top competitors out there, such as Samsung and others, it just makes no sense to go and spend so much money, no matter how absolutely insane the hardware is. doesn't matter how brilliant the camera will be. And I have no doubt from the reports that this is going to be a spectacular phone. But for me, without access to the Google universe living in South Africa, it's dead in the water. It makes absolutely no sense to go out there and do it. So watch the space. They're going to be sending out a ton and ton of information. Um, I'm just saying go for it because it'll be a brilliant device, but be very aware that it is essentially a very crippled device in the context of the connected world that we live in. And it just, you know, makes you think, how can mobile networks support such a setup? And in time, maybe they will come up with a platform that will be as good as Google or complete alternative. But that time is not now. So now moving on to the cloud and big data. And the biggest transformative element of life in 2020, apart from the coronavirus, which I think hopefully will blow over in the next month or two, but the biggest transformative thing from a technology point of view will be smart data. That's the way I'm thinking of it, because smart data is data that enhances your interaction with whomever you deal with in your normal life. It takes the society of techno of the normal society in which we lo we live, where we interacting with technology at all times. We've got our phones. We go into businesses. We buy stuff. Everything's connected. You go online. You do some online shopping. You interact with the government. You interact with whomever. It's all done technologically. All the stuff, facial recognition, all of this stuff is happening right now, and. And in a way that makes, you know, life very easy. You want to open a bank account, download the app, does it takes a quick selfie, it asks you to upload one or two little documents, and boom, your bank account's open, it's fully connected, everything works. What has made all of this possible has been the remarkable confluence of, of four main things. The first is these big data centers. Standard Bank are moving the entire operating system of their business to a data center in the cloud. It's based in Cape Town and Durban, but it's part of the, of the Azure cloud services that Microsoft are doing. 
These data centers are massive. They have hundreds of thousands of processors. They have the capability of processing data at a scale and a speed that no individual company, not even Standard Bank, who are a multi-billion dollar, never mind Rand organization, can afford to do. So, for example, if you want full facial recognition, to put that system into your own data center would cost you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of rands. It would run fairly inefficiently, whereas you could simply go onto the Azure platform and say, I would like to add facial recognition to my suite of products. And Azure would say, okay, ask you a few questions. It then would churn through in the matter of hours millions tens, twenty, three, four hundred million pictures and come back to you after that time and say, we've trained your platform in facial recognition. It's now live. All you need to do is X, Y, Z. Boom. That would have taken, and this is a Microsoft example, that would have taken weeks of computing power with the biggest computers that a company as big as Standard Bank could own. So these massive data centers have transformed what you can do. They've transformed how much Processing power you need, so Standard Bank having a busy day, no problem. It just expands in the data center. There's no congestion. There's no delay. There's nothing. There's scalability beyond anything that any individual company can can have. And it's commoditized. So if you're a little company, small little startup at home, you want to create a little platform with facial recognition built in, no logins, whatever, that's available to you at a price that you could probably afford. And suddenly you've got the same technology that Standard Bank are using on your own little website that you or your little app for a phone that sells your little widgets that you make in your backyard. So the, the, the impact of these massive hyperscale data centers globally, and they pretty much Google AWS, which is Amazon Web Services, and Azure, which is Microsoft. There are a couple of others, but they are the big boys have totally transformed computing because computing now is a service and the scale and the power and the size of these platforms is mind-boggling. You can store any amount of data. You can process at any speed you want, any time of the day. But all you need for that is connectivity. And that's the next big, huge transformation that's happened. 5G is here. I saw it all over Europe. It was the main theme of mobile world this year. But it is live with rain in South Africa. Um, Vodacom will, and I'm sure MTN over the next very short while will be launching the, the commercial platform. And the benefit of 5G is not simply that it's the next generation of 4G. The benefit of 5G, it takes connectivity to the next level, both in the number of connections you can make and the speed at which you can connect. So completely, it's like having a fiber line to your server from your mobile device which is just ridiculous. And when you put those two things together, you can utilize all this massive computing power wherever you are. So connectivity has completely transformed, and the next generation of ultra-fast fiber, 5G, changes what you can do. You've now got a fiber line to your mobile phone. You can do stuff. You can crunch numbers. You can process data that you could never, ever, ever think of doing that anywhere. And the other thing, the Internet of Things, which we all talked about, is creating petabytes of data, tons and tons and tons of data from lifts, from fridges, from light bulbs, from vacuum cleaners, from wristwatches, you name it. All these things are generating tons of data which are connecting to various devices, uploading this data to these massive data centers, and you've now suddenly got immense amounts of data coming from unbelievable places all over the show. Everything's talking to everything, 
And what you need to make it all work is where smart data comes from. You have computers that are programming themselves. So you've now got the rise of AI, the rise of smart data, the rise of the ability to compute, connect, and transform data into stuff that changes everything. And we're running out of time really quickly, but I'll just give you a perfect example. All the the um, CAT scan machines built by Philips, Siemens, whatever, are linked. These things do a million scans a day across the world. The AI, the computers, they're all linked to a central database. They're all linked to a central computer platform. All those scans can be verified, checked, and looked at by the computer. So when they take a scan of you sitting in Johannesburg, you're getting the benefit of a million scans of that same area of the human body across the world. And before the radiologist even looks at the screen, it's highlighted 15 anomalies simply based on on the amount of data that can be handled at any point in time. So the benefit in medical is unbelievable. The benefit of supply chains is unbelievable. So smart data is without question going to be the society-changing element of technology going forward. And the best thing is that you won't even notice it. Simply put, when you go into Woolworths, the right product will be on the shelf in the right quantity at all times. Why? Because some smart program said it should be, because they knew that you were going to walk in there and buy it at 7 o'clock in the evening on a Monday. That sort of stuff. So big data, big computers are going to pretty much transform the world. And I'll wrap this up straight after this. We can hear I get quite excited about it because I think it's a big deal, but we have to pay the rent. So quick word from our sponsors, and I'll be back with my gadget of the week, which is an indestructible phone. Well, pretty much so. Um, good for the kids and the workers. And a quick wrap up on the data, the smart data revolution we're all living in. We'll be back after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And a quick wrap-up before we talk about my gadget of the week, which is the new Cat S52 smartphone. And Cat or Caterpillar, and the brand, you can't miss it, has for a while made some rugged phones. And there's just no question, these beautiful slabs of aluminium and glass that we all carry around are pretty fragile. You drop it. The screen shatters. It bounces. The edges break. It, they're just not the most rugged or useful things, especially if you're someone who's out there in industry working, doing stuff, getting, you know, plumbing, building, you name it, climbing trees, things like that. So the need for a super rugged phone is definitely there. Industry, you know, needs something that you can actually put in your pocket and be connected. And again, based on what I'm saying around how the world works, everybody's got an app. You get to work, you've got an app. Someone delivers a parcel to your door. There's a little phone you sign on. How did they know which parcel to deliver? The app told them. The app mapped the truck. The app figured out which is the most efficient way to deliver the 17 parcels in the back of the vehicle. Smart data, connectivity, big data. It's just all, all connected. So 
This new Cat S52 phone, what they what they have designed is actually pretty cool. I had one of their older ones. In fact, I reviewed quite a number of them over the years. And I even had the one that an Im- had an infrared center. It was pretty cool for finding hot water pipes and walls and things like that. But this particular device, the Cat 52, does not have an infrared sensor. But what it does have, it is a pretty sleek design. It looks and feels exactly like any other candy bar Android phone with all the high-tech features that you could imagine. And the ruggedness is not very apparent. It's got a nice aluminium frame. It's got a non-slip rubber back. It's got a very nice 6. I think 6.5-inch front screen, which is bright and clear and pretty high resolution. But it is totally and utterly rugged. It runs the latest version of Android, which is very cool. So it's got all the gestures and all the swiping and everything that you would want to do. It has. <laughs> Sorry, I have to mention it. It has full Google Play Store and Google GMS services. So you've got maps. And this is what happened to me right now in the studio is one of the reasons why it could be really problematic to have a phone without Google Play Stores. I... um on my home computer was doing my work for this morning and I, I googled and I found the website for cat phones. Well, what I did when I, I got, you know, to the studio now, I had my laptop running Google Chrome. I did not save it in my normal notes for the show. So I just typed cat52 into my browser. And because I'd googled it at home, it immediately popped up the correct website. And one click, I was there. So it's that little subtle connectivity using services such as Google um, services on your mobile. And the same thing would happen on the mobile phone. So you really do need an integrated world. So moving back to the the Cat 52 smart device. It has, in all respects, it looks, feels, and operates. It's, it's got a good process. I'm not going into the um, the actual um, nitty-gritty of the various elements, but it has a really fast, decent processor, which works extremely well. It's not not slow at all. I must say that for the most part, I've tried a ton of games, I've I've played around with taking photos, manipulating those photos, opening PDFs, opening large Excel files, and it's been pretty pretty good with regard to performance. There's a slight lag. It's not as fast as the top-end phones on the market. But where the abs- absolute uh, benefit for this Cat 52 comes in is that it is without question the the toughest phone that you're going to ever have a good look at. It is military spec solid. I've stood on it. I've dropped it on the floor numerous times. Um, I've tried to be careful. It is a review device and it will go back. But they made a, they made a, a commitment that this is one of the toughest, sleekest phones on the market. It's totally pocket friendly. It's not very heavy. Uh, it's got a great camera. I must tell you, I'm very impressed. It's a single lens camera, but they put a decent one in. The, the resolution, it's not quite again in the high end, but it, for the types of purposes that this phone is designed, I believe it's more than good enough. And it has a very interesting app store. Now, we're talking about alternative app stores, but they've got a very interesting app store with a whole suite of cat-designed programs. So they've got fleet management, they've got activate programs, they've got cat bucket configurations, you know, for front-end loaders, cat being caterpillar Remember, they make all those earth-moving equipment. So you can optimize your your bucket on your, your front-end loader using the app. 
They've got, I'm just reading through some of these, they've got compliance, emission compliance testing. They've got financial quotes you can do through the CAT system. They've got a full inspection service. So if you're going in and doing a gas inspection or whatever it is, they've got that entire service. They've got power on site services, how to set them all up. They've got call and service appointment platforms and programs. So They've done a lot of work to turn this phone into a really useful tool for anybody or any tradesperson or any construction person who needs a really rugged phone. And I expect to see, because of the nature of the type of device and the price is very reasonable, it's in the six to 9,000 Rand range, depending where you look and where you buy it. But um, the price and the performance of this phone is extremely, extremely attractive. And as I said, from a... Obviously, you can. It has all the standard features. It's got full Wi-Fi access. It, it's got 4G network access. It's got Bluetooth. It can run all the, the standard apps. But where it excels is in sheer ruggedness. As I said, I've dropped it. I've thrown it around. I've left it at the bottom of the pool. I've done all sorts of interesting stuff to this phone. And a quick wipe, and before you know it. It absolutely comes clean instantly and looks as good as new. It's got a nice little fingerprint reader on the on the back, which is easy to get to. So if you are looking for a super rugged, super strong, and very functional Android phone, either for yourself for work or to give you know, to your workers or to your servicemen or to whoever's out there, the new Cat S52 is an absolute killer device. They've brought... The other phone's right up to date. It's running the latest version of Android. It's got a really powerful, decent processor, more than enough memory, and it really doesn't even look embarrassing. If you put it down, the others looked a little bit like a sort of a rugged, chunky thing. But this device looks great. You put it down, it looks like any other aluminium-framed, high-quality phone, and yet I can promise you now it will definitely, the odd spill doesn't affect it, Throwing it off the table or simply accidentally dropping it off the table will not affect it. And uh, it's well serviced. They, the, the, it's available from networks across the whole country and it's a, uh, it's priced depending on the, on the, on the package that you buy it for. But the, the retail price is certainly well within the range of a second phone or a phone for workers or a fleet of these phones for your servicemen across the country. So if you're looking for something rugged, something strong, with some really clever apps and all the standard Android stuff so you can you can lock things down, you can make phone calls, you can do whatever you want. Then the new um, Cat 52 phone from Cat uh, is probably definitely, well, not probably, is definitely something you should look at because I think this is the type of phone that will certainly survive a lot better than any amount of cheaper, non-rugged phones on the market. And once again... Time flies. We're going to have to have a quick break for our sponsors. And I'll be back to wrap up the show and one or two last little minute things. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And having had a cat in the bag, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist that. But a cat in the bag was my cat phone. I must, again, just say that I've been using it for about a week. I traveled with it. It is a pretty decent phone. It has all the elements of a modern top-end smartphone. The camera, great, but not brilliant, but good enough for the money. It's definitely a rugged phone to look at. And a lot of questions I've been getting over the last little while is, how do I cope with uh, load shedding at home? And what do I do 
you know, to stay connected while we load shed because a lot of people do work from home. A lot of small businesses cannot function without connectivity. And it's actually very simple. There are two things that you need to, to buy and invest in over the next little while. The first one is a UPS for your network setup. So your router should be connected to a UPS. Your computers, the other thing you need to buy are surge protector plugs. Um, for all your sensitive electronic equipment because what happens when they put the power back on after a load shedding bout and unfortunately it appears we're going to be having that for the next couple of years there's often a surge of electricity which can damage power supplies can damage televisions can damage fairly sensitive gear so UPS's a thousand VA UPS should be more than good enough you can pick them up online you can pick them up in store between 700 and 1300 rand just be aware of one thing Try to get one without a fan because they can be super noisy and it can drive you mad if you're trying to work with this fan going off. But if you get one of those, that should power your router and give you Wi-Fi or fiber or whatever it is that you need for at least four hours as long as you don't plug too many things and you can plug your phone in and maybe one or two others, but not too much. The more you plug in, the quicker it'll die. But if you want to stay connected, the best way to do it in a small business and at home is to power your router and your Wi-Fi setup with a little UPS. And as I say, it's between 700 and 1,300 Rand for a 1,000 VA device, and that should be more than good enough to take care of your connectivity. The alternative is a little LTE router, which will allow your laptop and your phones to connect, but that costs a little bit more and it may not be quite as useful or as fast. And on that note, I've been told it's time. I've tech-talked myself right out of the studio. So until same place, same time next week, where we've got more interesting tech news, this is Stephen Ambrose with Tech Talk right here on High FM.